Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. The first guest is a former Olympian, Trish Porter Topmiller, who has reached athletic heights as well as the depths of life, including the loss of her first husband and son in a plane crash and the death of her father, a successful businessman whose later years were marred by depression and drug addiction. Out of her faith in Christ, she has drawn strength. You can learn more coming up. Well, Trish Topmiller shared with me about the dynamics of the father-daughter relationship. And at the 2019 Christian Product Expo International in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, Blythe Daniel provided some insight into the mother-daughter relationship, providing hope and navigating that special bond. Some of her insight is ahead. Plus, Jongo Alobia has been teaching Sunday school for 20 years and teaches children ages 3 through 12. She offers a biblically-centered point of view about the importance of regarding other people and exhibiting good manners. And on this edition of The Intersection, from Westminster Theological Seminary, you will hear from Peter Lilback. The school participated in a lawsuit against the government regarding its mandatory provision of contraception and abortion-inducing drugs. And he has insight, board of experience, into how to engage the culture. Some wise instruction is coming up. Plus, the third Wednesday in October has been designated as International Pronouns Day. It's not a celebration of grammar or speech. Rather, it is supposed to call attention to referring to people according to the pronouns they choose, corresponding to their gender identity. Glenn Stanton of Focus on the Family provides some commentary in response to yet another front in the furtherance of special treatment as prescribed by LGBTQ advocates. Finally, Rosemary Pope and her husband have traveled a difficult road regarding having children, including several miscarriages and a child who only lived a short period of time. At CPE International, she stopped by to share about her experience of joy in the Lord, even in the midst of trying times. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. Trish Porter Topmiller is a former Olympian who shares about endurance during times of adversity, including the loss of her former husband and son in a plane crash, as well as lessons she has learned from observing her father during his difficult final days. Subject matter she covers in the book, King Here, Never Too Old, Too Rich, or Too Anything to Meet Jesus. From a recent Meeting House conversation, this is Trish Porter Topmiller. You know, the sad part is we want to we wanna say, well, you know, why why couldn't he come home from church every day and be all excited about what God was teaching him? And this is what I want to do with my life. But this was an 82-year-old man who had never opened up interpersonally, who had never been to church, who um, who, who didn't know how to really walk with God and what that looked like. And, and so... Unfortunately, he had no hope. With all of what he went through, he still wasn't able to um, to fully, I want to say, have hope and new purpose because he really felt he had no purpose. So that mm. that was the tragic part. It's um, and lots of people will say, "Oh, well, you know, because he committed suicide, he, you know, he's not in heaven." Or was his relationship with God real? I believe it was real because we saw change. There were several things you could see that, again, you kind of have to you have to look at. And he had left his Bible out on his bed. He would get up on some Sundays and go to church with nobody. And for someone, again, who would get out of bed normally at one o'clock, he would get up 
get out of bed, drive to church, which was frankly a little scary. His car had some little dents and scratches on it. So I'm not, not sure how that worked, but he really made an effort mm. to be there and he wanted to be there. And I think because of a, I want to say a mental, you know, addiction is a mental health disorder. So because of a weakness, one weakness in a moment um, doesn't mean we can lose our salvation. So that's, that's the whole component is we all sin, we all fall short, and nobody is perfect. So in that one instant of sin and, and lack of faith, we, we aren't penalized forever, um, which, you know, thank you, Lord, because, again, since we all sin, we, we, we need God mm, and we need his, his forgiveness. Very quickly, Trish, how did you come up with the title King Here? And what does well, that mean? My, my dad was a man of few words, and he would answer the telephone, King here. Okay. And then his message machine would say, King not here, speak at the beep. And so it's really, <laughs> it's really a double entendre, because it's King here from my father answering the phone, but it's also King here, God our King, kind of saying, hey, you know, listen to me and listen to this story, because um, I think it has some power. As an Olympian, um, and I think being part of Olympian, um, we kind of are used to we're used to define the odds. We're used to hard work. We're used to failure um, or problems happening, and so that makes you kind of relentless. So I think of myself a little bit as relentless, and my dad thought of me that way too, uh, and persistent. And I don't give up that easily. Um, so with that, you know, I was able to use that. I think with my father. Um, Although I do, I much prefer quick solutions, his solution and his problem. I couldn't fix and I couldn't solve, but I could try, do the best I could to come alongside and to offer him hope and to try and give him solutions and to, and to continue on and, and not give up, I think, with him is, is how I felt that in the end that I was able to do, you know, pretty much most of what I could do. So I take it from a, from a genetic standpoint, I, I take it that his self-reliance was kind of passed down to you. <laughs> is, that, is, is that accurate? Uh, yeah. Um, uh, he would say hardhead, that I was a, not, a little bit of a knothead. I'm, I'm not going to say that to you, Trish. No. <laughs> well, I try. Okay, okay. So self-reliance, the, 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 I, I, I think I'm strong and I have a strong personality. But I really work hard. I want to rely on the Lord. And through what I've gone through in my life, I've learned to trust the Lord. And so I want to change that word from self-reliance because really we, we, all of us need God. And in order to get through each day to me, I need the Lord. And, and so, I, yes, I am a knothead and yes, I am strong. <laughs> uh, but my strength, hopefully now as I've matured and I've aged, I, I hope I try to have it come from the Lord. <laughs> Trish Porter Top Miller here on The Intersection. Her website address is trishportertopmiller.com. Next up on this edition of The Intersection, the co-author of the book, Mended, Restoring the Hearts of Mothers and Daughters, Blythe Daniel, stopped by Faith Radio Meeting House Media Central at the 2019 Christian Product Expo International in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, to explore some of the dynamics of the mother-daughter relationship. Her mother is co-author of the book. Here now 
is Blythe Daniel. We had been talking about writing a book together for a couple of years, and we, we said, well, we know we want to include our story, which has a good story, but we also need to go into those places where people have, have really would identify with the harder places, such as the story with my mom and her mom. And we have some, some things that we talk about, the difficulties that we needed to navigate. And so it really came together um, over Christmas one year. We were put, sitting down, had time together, and we outlined the book. And then um, as God only could do, he, he sent a publisher to us to um, who had inquired about our putting this together, putting a book together. So we wrote it together, and we have our different viewpoints in the book. You see some passages from me. You see my mom's perspective. My mom has a doctorate in counseling, so um, there's just a lot of wisdom that she has brought to this conversation. And we feel like we're offering something unique because some books will talk about hard conversations, but they don't give you the tools to necessarily mm. then initiate those types of conversations. Yeah. So um, that's what we want to bring to the table in this book. And as you mentioned, your mom, is a, she has a doctorate in, in counseling. Her name is Helen McIntosh and spent quite a bit of time in Montgomery grow, growing did. up, correct? She sure did. Yeah, Montgomery is such a, a wonderful home for our family. We've loved it, and we, um, we're just so grateful for the way that God used some of the experiences that she had there in Alabama um, to, to go forth, and she started doing counseling work, and um, a lot of things came out of some of the painful years that she had in Montgomery. Um, but we're grateful for this station and for the ways that you allow us to just express our stories, and that's what a lot of this book contains. Well, let's talk from a spiritual standpoint. How does the, the matters of addressing relationship issues biblically, being able to ask for forgiveness, being able to seek right relationships, not having unforgiveness come between people, and in this case, mothers and daughters, address the, the spiritual aspects of, of mending relationships? You know, the spiritual aspect, um, really how um, Proverbs 4.23 says, for guard your heart, for out of it the issues of life will flow. And so, um, you know, it is so important to take a check of your heart on a, on a continual basis. And when there's something in your heart that needs to be addressed, if you continue to stuff it down and keep it in your heart, it will come out in, in an unhealthy way. It might mm. come out through anger. Uh, it might come out through just the way that you handle people. Um, relationships are affected, not just your, with mother and daughter. But um, it's so important to address those issues in our hearts. Um, with forgiveness, you know, God calls us, doesn't he? he he's, and Jesus, when, when asked, how many times should I forgive? It, that number was an eternal number. There isn't just one time that you ask for forgiveness, and there isn't just one time that you offer forgiveness. Mm. So um, it's a continual process, I believe. Well, as we conclude, there may be a situation where you may have a daughter and the mother is not open to reconciling. When there's been a conflict or an issue that has driven them apart. Could be the other situation. You have a mom that so desperately wants to reconcile with her daughter, but the daughter's not open to it. You may have a situation where it's physically impossible to have reconciliation because of the passing of, say, a mom or a daughter. So in a situation where forgiveness isn't coming or cannot come, what words of encouragement would you give to a person that's in that position? Right. You know, if, if you have um, the situation where your mother or daughter is no longer in your life, we encourage you to write out a prayer and what it would basically would be saying to your mother, you know, 
under under God's um, protection of my heart, I'm I'm choosing to forgive you. And you know, you would want to interject some things that God would uniquely show you about your situation. But we encourage you to say those words out loud and offer it as a prayer to God. Just acknowledging the hard places of your heart that have been affected by the relationship with a mom or daughter. And you know, if you have, um, if you're someone who's mother or daughter is still living and you're just not sure or don't think it would ever happen, I just want to give you hope and encouragement that it can. Our job is to take care of the things that are in our hearts. We can't be responsible for someone else's actions. We can only take responsibility for ours. Mm. And we can live with hope that when we put ourselves out there, even if even if the person doesn't reciprocate your desire to be reconciled, it is still part of your responsibility to at least initiate it. And then if it's not reciprocated, ask God to heal those places where that re- reciprocation isn't coming into your heart. Um, he has such a great ability to restore our hearts to, to the faithfulness of his own. Blythe Daniel here on The Intersection. Learn more by going to the website OurMendedHearts.com. Next, with a perspective on good manners informed by a biblical worldview, Jongo Alobia shared concepts relative to her book, Considering Others, Good Manners to Glorify God, a Biblical and Practical Guide to Good Manners. She has been a Sunday school teacher for 20 years and teaches children ages 3 through 12. From that recent conversation, here is Jongo Alobia. The greatest commandments, you know, God, Jesus summarized them, summarized the Ten Commandments to love God. You know, what does that mean? And to love our neighbor. In fact, there's another scripture that said, how can we say that we love God and hate our brother or hate our sister? You know, God says that if we don't love our brother and sister, we cannot love God whom we do not see. And so considering others good manners to glorify God is a book that I wrote because I began to really research the scriptures. And I realized and saw the difference even in my own character. Before I got saved, I saw the difference in that I was a very suspicious kind of person, very insecure. Now, I could pretend for a while, however, like an elastic, I snapped right back into that very depressed and suspicious and angry person. I didn't realize how angry I was and and sad that I, I was. I just thought, this is just the way it is. This is normal. But when I began to meditate on the Word of God, God began to challenge me. You know, it was a work that began from the inside out. The scriptures God has written as a manual to help us understand exactly how we should consider others, exactly what it means to love my brother and my sister. For example, he says, we are to love our enemies. How can we do that in the culture that we live in that is so contentious, where people are so angry you know how do we do that especially as christians how can we be an example of love it is by considering others it's by asking and uh partnering with the holy spirit because jesus said i don't leave you as orphans i don't leave you alone but i'm going to the father and i will ask that he send you another helper that helper who helps us to consider others is the holy spirit And so this book is dedicated to the Holy Spirit. He Mm. is our teacher and our guide. And the Bible is the manual for good manners to glorify God his way. Thank you, Bob. So the the book is entitled Considering Others. And as we, we continue to think about some of these elements of good manners, 
talk about some of the, as we might say, some of the practical things that you share in the book with respect to, like, for instance, you mentioned earlier, how to use a, a knife and fork and, and various other types of, as we say, good manners that you, you teach and write about in this book. Okay, so some practical things we can do, for example, as parents. And this book is not only for parents, it's for anyone who is around children or knows children, grandparents, uncles, aunties, neighbors even. Because, of course, in our culture today, we know that we don't just influence our children. We also influence anyone who sees us, our neighbor's children, for example. So some of the things that I've taught my children, for example, when waking up in the morning, instead of grabbing the phone and the iPads and the video games, to put God first. Mm. Very, very important. That takes care of the first commandment, loving God, as we said, with all of our heart, our soul, our might. And to make sure that we do that, we've got to be so careful in this culture where uh, there's there so much entertainment. you know. And of course, we thank God for the advancement in technology. We thank God for that. But we've got to be careful that we are not idolizing, you mm -hmm. know, the blessings. Yes. But we are lifting up the Lord, the giver of this blessing. So I'll teach my children. And the first thing, as soon as you wake up in the morning, just a simple prayer. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Help me, Holy Spirit. First thing. And then also, when they get out of bed, greet the parents. Very important. That takes care of the other commandment that talks about honoring the mother, your mother, and your father. And there's a promise to that, that it may go well with you. Now, I'm mentioning this because you can see that the children need structure. They cannot do this on their own. It's very important for us as parents, as guardians, to guide our children. Jongo Alobia here on The Intersection. You can find her on Facebook at Jongo, that's J-U-N-G-U, Alobia, O-L-O-B-I-A, Books. Well, this is The Intersection Podcast, the weekly production of The Meeting House. You can find out more through the website meetinghouseonline.info. There's a link to the Media Center where you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on the podcast. The podcast can be found in the Media Center. You can also subscribe via iTunes. Plus, there are two blogs. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. And there's The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. Plus, you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. And there is a link to video content, including recently added content from CPE International in Tennessee. Again, that website address, meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Content from the Meeting House can also be found through the Faith Radio app, as well as a variety of podcast platforms. Well, this is the Intersection Podcast with the president of Westminster Theological Seminary, Peter Lilback, who shared about the school's involvement in defending itself against the HHS government mandate that employers provide free contraception and abortion drugs in their health care plans. He also, in our conversation, provided insight into how Christians can be involved in confronting cultural trends that are contrary to the principles of Scripture. From a recent conversation, this is Peter Lilback. I think the first thing we need to do is to have that recognition that these are not just hypotheticals, but they are realities. It's waking up to saying, wow, this is actually occurring in my country. Denial has to end. This is a reality. Now, the next response of having uh, become aware that these are ongoing 
struggles that we must face is not to become angry and bitter and start throwing around all sorts of uh, criticisms and words of attack, but rather begin to be educated, begin to say, what are the issues? I think it is quite amazing how many Christians can explain the gospel, but have difficulty explaining Christian ethics. Uh, What does the Bible actually teach about marriage? What does it teach about sexuality? What does it teach about the truth? What does it teach about authority? One of the most important things I think we all need to do is to rediscover the importance of the Ten Commandments as an expression of God's grace for us. By becoming biblically literate, we'll remember that when God redeems a people from sin, he is establishing the principle of freedom underneath his rule. And that's the story of the Exodus and the Ten Commandments. God redeemed. He gave people ordered liberty, freedom to do what was right within boundaries. Do we know the principles of our faith? Have we established clear Christian ethics within a Christian worldview? The next thing is that we need to train the next generation because the parable of the frog is always at work. Hmm. We're always finding the heating, the heating, the heating until one day the frog is boiled. They never got out of the water. We need to be training these things to the next generation so that they realize the heat is rising, that the struggle is coming. Are we prepared then to do what Jesus said, to count the cost? Any man who comes after him who's not willing to take up his cross and follow me, Jesus said, is not ready for what the kingdom of God is. We love the cross for redemption. Are we prepared to follow our Lord, not to save ourselves from our sin? but to show that Jesus is Lord by saying whatever the unique burden we must bear for Christ's sake, we're willing to do so. So the question we all have to ask is, are we prepared to stand up for what we know the Bible teaches as Christians? Not to become legalists, not to impose this on others that don't agree with us, but to say, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. And in our church, in our business, in our community, we will maintain principles we believe are true, even if they are costly. When we come to worship the Lord on Sunday, then, part of what we need to ask is, are we prepared to say, Lord, we are willing to honor you as not just our Savior, but as the Lord who redeemed us? So you look at the process. Wake up. Realize what's before us. Become aware of the standards that God calls us in his word. Teach them to the next generation. And then recognize that as we learn these things, as we teach them, they're part of our worship on Sunday, where we're coming back and saying, Lord, we will give you all that you've asked us. You've given us everything. Now we will serve you. Then, not for everybody, but almost most people will have an occasion to enter in some way into the public square and with Christian respect, following the golden rule, uh, being careful to maintain principles. We should speak the truth in love. That can be through our vote. It can be writing a letter to the local editor in the newspaper It can be actually entering into some political position, whether it's a school board, whether it's running for office, whether it's becoming part of a campaign where First Amendment issues are being protected. And some of us have the ability to be givers. There are many organizations that are seeking to fight this battle in ways that many of us private citizens or other professional people can never engage. There are those who say we are going to protect conscience and do all that we can to advance this cause. And when we see that, if we have the gift of giving, we should invest. Are we reading? 
are we reading enough about the issue that we are current? This is not our main focus, perhaps, but to be ignorant is to be enslaved. Uh, someone has said it well, the Americans have educated themselves out of their inheritance. Thomas Jefferson said, an ignorant people cannot be a free people. Do we know what's at stake? Are we reading well? Are we educated? Are we staying attuned to the issues? Peter Lill back here on The Intersection. You can connect to his content through providenceforum.org. Next up on this edition of The Intersection, it's the Director of Global Family Formation Studies at Focus on the Family, Glenn Stanton, providing some response to the concept of International Pronouns Day, which was launched to encourage people to refer to others by their preferred pronouns corresponding to gender identity. Here now from that conversation is Glenn Stanton. To think that we can just change language or that a a subculture, the gay community and trans community can change language just simply because they want it to connect with their um, illusion that, um, you know, a male can actually be a female or a female can be a male or a male can be one of, you know, 30 different genders and that, you know, we have these, you know, you have to ask somebody properly um, what their pronouns are, you know, before you interact with them. I mean, Bob, the last couple of years, we're hearing from parents who said, and students, you know what, we went to my child's orientation at college or even high school and we all had to introduce ourselves by our personal pronouns. And it's this demand that you buy into and go along with just crazy gender politics, which do not connect with reality at all. It's, it's just remarkable. From a spiritual standpoint, this is quite dangerous because people are basically shaking their fist at the one who made them, right? Well, no, it, it, I mean, that's exactly right. And, and it's, it's saying, in a sense, sense, that our bodies can tell us lies. My body tells me and tells the rest of the world that I'm a male, but I, you know, quote unquote, understand myself as a female, therefore everybody else needs to. But, but here's the thing. I mean, it's saying what you created me, God, is, is not right. Um, you made a mistake here. But here's the other thing, and we need to understand this, is when we read in the first chapter of Scripture, Genesis, God says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So God is going to create something that reflects in the created world his image and likeness. There's a comma there, and it says, in the image of God, he created them male and female. So when we see our culture today challenging what male and female mean, what Satan knows, and again, people who are involved in this are not satanic, they're but but they Satan is driving this in saying this whole male female thing that represents the image of God. Um, don't pay any attention to that. Just like he did at the original part of the fall, you know, God says this, but surely you know he didn't mean that. You can mm-hmm. do otherwise. 
And he's doing the same thing in gender. Well, God says that he is, is imaged and his likeness in the created world is in male and female. But don't pay any attention to that. He didn't really mean that. We need to understand that as Christians and, and be prophetic in that way to understand what is behind this. So as we conclude, what words of direction or instruction or even encouragement can you give to Christians as we attempt to navigate this not-so-brave new world where the pronouns are being twisted all over the place? Well, I wrote a book on this just a few years ago called Loving My LGBT Neighbor, Being Friends in Grace and Truth. And so I I address this kind of thing, and, and that is as Christians, we are always kind to the individual. We are always gracious to the individual. But in terms of the topic itself, we never can compromise truth. And, and I try to be patient um, and gracious and kind, but with this pronoun stuff, I have no patience for that whatsoever. And, you know, just refuse to go along with it. Um, and you know what? I mean... <laughs> Put me in prison. Do whatever you want. I am not going to participate in your make-believe world that we can assign different pronouns to anybody. Language matters. Language is important. Objectivity is important. And so, again, let's always be gracious to the people involved, but let's say, no, um, I have a right not to participate in your own personal understanding of reality. Glenn Stanton here on The Intersection. The Focus on the Family website is FocusOnTheFamily.com. Next on this edition of The Intersection Podcast, it's the author of the book, Joy and Suffering, a memoir of one couple's pregnancy losses and how they found happiness, Rosemary Pope at the 2019 Christian Product Expo in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. She shared about her experience with miscarriages and an infant who lived outside the womb for a very short time, as well as her discovery of joy in light of God's faithfulness. Here now from that conversation is Rosemary Pope. So Rosemary, as we talk about this second pregnancy, you'd received two opinions that this child had some severe damage, not expected to live outside the womb, as the first doctor had said, incompatible with life. There was the opportunity that you had, you were presented with the opportunity to terminate the pregnancy. Why didn't you? Um, Well, it was definitely something I struggled with for a while there, Um, maybe about a good week or two. Um, But when it came down to it, I wanted this child we, you, we, our intentions were to raise this child. I wanted her and, um, um, I wanted God to heal her. And it, I had the realization of if I really do want him to heal her, you know, I was still praying, God, please heal her. Please make her whole and healthy and lively and all that. And I had the realization of, well, if I, if I terminate this pregnancy, then I'm ending her life and I'm not giving God the opportunity to heal her. Um, and I, I had to, you know, so I wanted God to have that opportunity. I wa- and, um, but I had to be okay with whatever that outcome may be. Um, so that was the decision. It was the turning point in allowing her to live mm. as long as she could. And she lived outside the womb for a little over five hours. Five hours. She did. So since then, you have 
three children that are on earth. You've had two miscarriages since then as well. So a total of seven children. You've written this book called Joy in Suffering. Tell me why it is that you wanted to share your story and what it what had God done in your lives that uh, that really compelled you to tell your story? Well, during all the the pregnancy losses, mainly the first two, I used to like scour the internet, you know, or anywhere looking for stories of people I could relate to and how they got through that. What you know, and and it was always you know God had helped them through it and stuff, one way or another, and. Uh, so I looked to their stories as hope. And as I got older, it was, you know, he's done so much for me and I wanted to give back. And he really, what he had done for me is I found that I found joy in suffering or I, I learned that I could still choose joy. I could still look at the good things in life and, and trust in, in the Lord and know that he'd take care of me. And, when you put your trust in the Lord, it doesn't mean that, okay, I put all my trust in him and he's going to, all my troubles are going to go away. Um, You know, there'll still be troubles there, but you know that he's got this and, and he can get you through it. And somebody told me along the way that they had a stillborn daughter and they would wrestle with God on, you know, on this topic. And they had, um, uh, they felt God had revealed to them that I know the pain you're going through. I lost my son too. Hmm. <laughs> and that got me hmm. through that. Like, okay, God, you get me. You empathize with me. Hmm. I'm going to trust you. I know that you've got me. And, and he did. And he brought me through that. <clears throat> and, you know, brought me a healthy son. And then later on to an, an a healthy daughter and another son. Um, and just everything came together. It wasn't the way that I thought it would come together, but it came together and it was so much more than, than what I could have ever imagined. Rosemary Pope here on The Intersection. You can learn more through the website rosemarypope.com. Well, we are nearing the end of this week's edition of the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Learn more through meetinghouseonline.info or by going to the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center. That's the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection Podcast. You can also find the podcast in that Media Center and subscribe via iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. You can also follow me on Twitter at Access The Meeting House Facebook page. There's a link to video content as well. Conversations from The Meeting House program can also be found through the Faith Radio app, as well as a variety of podcast platforms. Again, that website address, meetinghouseonline.info, or go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.